Welcome to The Common Rounds, medical education for medical students by medical students. And today we'll kick off our respiratory section, starting off with anatomy of the lungs to give a sort of brief overview. And perhaps in the next episode, we'll talk about the histology of the lungs. Please do bear with me and my voice. I've had a bit of a cold for the last few weeks. If anyone has any advice, please send it through. This episode is not a comprehensive cover. It's more of a basis for the future episodes to, to paint a picture for a discussion of concepts of lung function in the future. I'll be talking about the thorax, which is the region between the neck and the abdomen, containing the heart and the lung, both resting on the diaphragm. When the diaphragm moves, the heart and the lungs move uh, inferiorly with it. The lungs surround the heart bilaterally and the heart is covered in a sac called the pericardium. Both the heart and the lungs are surrounded by the thoracic cage, which I'll talk about in the future. Anterior to the heart and the lungs are the ribs, and posteriorly is the thoracic vertebra. Laterally are the ribs again. The ribs move forward and downwards. As a person inspires, the volume of the thorax increases, and the ribs seem to become a little bit more horizontal. In between both lungs lie the heart and the great vessels. As the lungs inflate and deflate, the volume that they occupy in the thorax starts to change and that is the, that is the basis of the concept of gas exchange, which we'll discuss in a future episode. Inferior to the heart and lungs is the diaphragm. The superiormost region of the lungs is called the apices, singular apex, and they lie under the subclavian vessels bilaterally. The lungs are covered by a layer of pleura, which is a thin layer of mesothelium underlied by a small quantity of stromal tissue. The pleura folds upon itself to create two surfaces. These folds are the basis to which some of the identification of structures can be done in an x-ray. We'll talk about that in the future. The two layers of the pleura that are formed are the visceral, which is adherent to the parenchyma of the lung, and the parietal pleura, which is attached to the thoracic cavity, and the superior surface of the diaphragm inferiorly. Medially, as the visceral pleura covers the division of the trachea, it reflects which is where the visceral becomes a parietal pleura. It becomes very apparent. Medially, both lungs come into contact with the pericardial sac. The primary bronchi appear at the this region. Inferiorly, the lungs come into contact with the diaphragm and the rest of the lung is in contact with the chest wall. Between the pleura is a space that is occupied by serous fluid. Normally, the quantity of this fluid is anywhere between 10-15 mils and it forms a surface for the lungs to slide through uh, under the thoracic cage without any friction. If the volume of this fluid goes up, it's classified as an effusion and that could be a result of added fluid or less fluid being removed. The left lung has two lobes, the superior and inferior divided by an oblique fissure. The right lung has three lobes, superior, middle and inferior. The superior and middle are divided by the horizontal fissure and the middle and inferior are divided by the oblique fissure. It took me a while to appreciate the anatomy of the structure of the lungs uh, in two dimension when looking towards the uh, human body, so in a coronal plane. And it's very useful in interpreting chest x-rays in, in regards to identifying which lobe is affected in pathology. On the left, it's a little bit more easier because the inferior lobe is actually quite uh, lower to the superior. It also lies posterior to, to the upper lobe. So in a 2D dimension, collections inside the upper lung and lower lung are relatively easy to identify because upper is over the inferior. This is not the case in the right lung, where the middle and inferior lobes are occupying the same level in a two-dimensional plane. 
which is where lateral x-ray is extremely useful in uh, distinguishing the two. We'll discuss this when we talk about x-rays. The lower anterior part of the lung wraps around the anterior surface of the mediastinum, which is where the left ventricle sits. It sort of covers the left ventricle like a tongue, and it's called a lingula. The trachea sits between both lung lobes and behind everything else except the esophagus, so it's anterior to the esophagus, and the esophagus is anterior to the cervical vertebra. It begins in the neck, inferior to the thyroid and cricoid cartilage. It descends inferiorly, dividing into the primary bronchi, and this region is called the carina or carina, whichever way you, um, whichever pronunciation you lean to. At the region where the carina, the pulmonary artery and veins enter the lung, uh, is called uh, the hilum. The primary bronchi branch to form the lobular bronchi, and the lobular bronchi branch to form the segmental bronchi. The trachea itself contains C-shaped cartilage, which helps it open which helps in maintaining the airway patency to keep it open. Posterior to the trachea, the esophagus lies, and that's in contact with the trachea directly. If the cartilage is C-shaped, the esophagus lies in the region where there is no cartilage. So essentially, the space that would have made the C and O is where the esophagus lies. The diaphragm is a dome-shaped muscle that underlies the lungs and is innervated by the phrenic nerve. Uh, the phrenic nerve, which is derived from branches of C3 to C5, as it contracts, it pulls the contents of the mediastinum downwards, and because the lungs do not really move, um, given that they adhere to the inside of the thoracic cage, the overall volume of the lung increases, which reduces the pressure inside. In life, the thorax moves outwards at the same time when the diaphragm moves downwards. It moves outwards as a result of muscles that pull the rib cage in the general direction, which is done by internal, internal intercostal muscles, so internal intercostal muscles, inspiration. Together, this increases the volume of the thoracic cage. An increase in volume results in a reduction in pressure and the relatively higher pressure of air in the atmosphere moves into an area of lower relative pressure, which is the lungs. Now, I know I mentioned the segmental bronchi, but they continue to uh, divide and become smaller, eventually forming the terminal bronchi which end in uh, what are known as alveoli, little sacs at which uh, air diffuses through the lung and goes into the blood. When the diaphragm relaxes, external intercostal muscles contract, which reduces the volume of the thoracic cage by increasing the pressure on uh, inwards. Rather, external intercostals expiration. In terms of need, accessory muscles of respiration are engaged which include the scalene muscles that are attached to the uh, first rib and the uh, second rib. The sternocleidomastoid also has a role, and together they increase the force in which the chest wall can be opened. When considering the airway from an infectious point of view, uh, think, of it, think of the mouth as the starting point and the lungs as the end of the conduit. Bacteria anywhere within the space can get translocated and invade the, the tissue of the lung. These surfaces include the mouth, nasal cavity, teeth, pharynx, and the larynx itself, which get direct access into the epiglottis as air and um, fluid from outwards uh, moves inwards, aerosols, droplets, and air itself. Similarly, contacts from the esophagus, which lies posterior to the airway, presents a unique problem of regurgitated contents, which makes its way into the airway and hence into the lung. This can cause pulmonary injury. In the majority of this 
uh, in the majority of people, this never really happens because the epiglottis manages to keep the contents of swallowed food and regurgitated contents from the esophagus away from the, esophag- uh, the trachea. However, in patients who are sedated, this mechanism is impaired and they may develop what is known as an aspiration pneumonitis. That ends my very general overview of lung anatomy. In the next episode, we'll discuss the cells that make up the airway. I hope you found this useful and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Our episode today was put together by our executive producer, Gautam, and our co-editor, Cindy. For notes, elective experiences, and much more study resources, visit our website on thecommonrounds.wordpress.com or visit us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. If you like our episodes, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It means a lot to us. You've been listening to The Common Rounds. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And we'll see you next time. See you.